This morning's scripture verse will be coming from Acts 27, 18 through 20. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us from then. Then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Beloved, it's great to see all of you. We want to, again, of course, welcome those of you who are tuning in by way of social media uh, through one of our live streams that we have. I understand we have about three or four different ways that you can do that. And as y'all know, I'm not a computer guru, but many of you are. So it's great to see all of you this morning, or at least have all of you. I imagine you sitting out there in my mind, as was mentioned earlier, and uh, our text is going to be from Acts chapter 27, where our scripture reading was um, <clears throat> just taken from. And I want to talk this morning about being in the midst of the storm. Um, Acts chapter 27, brethren, is what we're going to be looking at mainly this morning. Um, and this is past the third missionary journey in Paul's life, the Apostle Paul. He has been on trial for a long time. He's been in jail for some time, and he makes an appeal to Caesar since he was a Roman citizen. He has been wanting to return to Rome for some time. That's his home country, and so he's on his way to Jerusalem via a ship, of course, probably his final destination on the face of this earth before he is killed for the cause of Christ. He has been wanting to go to Rome for a long time, and he's finally headed there. And <clears throat> the first 40 verses of this chapter details the storm that arose. If you read uh, in uh, scholarly material about this particular chapter, there are quite a few scholars that have questioned this chapter, and they say, why in the world would Luke describe a storm in such detail. It has, until, until you get to the end, really no spiritual significance, they would argue. Um, and they argue, uh, why would, would Luke quote, in some of them's mind anyway, waste time in something that they didn't feel like was very relevant? Um, brethren, this storm that came here, as you study um, in verse 14, is called a Euroquillo in the Greek. In our language, that would mean a north northeaster, or as they say up north, a nor'easter, which means the worst kind of hurricane on, that you can encounter on the ocean. It was serious stuff. It wasn't a little squall that come up. And as we're going to see, they had been in this storm for some time. Now, uh, why would the scholar, you know, the scholars say, why would Luke spend so much time on describing a storm like this? Brethren, I, I'm, let me give you my take on this, okay? I believe the Holy Spirit had Luke write this because he knew we'd also face storms in our life. That all of the human race is going to do that. There's a lot of people today in the midst of a storm. I don't mean just in our country or our county. I mean all over the world. There are many people in the midst of a storm. And there's folk that are out of work, that are unemployed, that, that, are, that need jobs. There are folks whose marriages are pretty much on the rocks. 
There are people out there who are involved in relationships where they're cheating on their mate. There are people in a lot of financial trouble right now. There are folk that are having trouble with relationships um, in, in, in every way. Some bad relationships. Um, I, my trouble with relationships is I cannot fellowship with my brethren right now. I'm having trouble with that, brethren. I really miss that, and I hope you do too. You know, I'm, I miss seeing you always, has been mentioned, and I miss being able to have fellowship with you. And, and so that's a storm. Uh, a lot of people go through, brethren, a storm of health problems, you know, that have suffering from ill health or something. Others, it's just plain old complacency or what the Bible would call lukewarmness of this uncaring, I just don't care what goes on kind of attitude. It could be any number of things, brothers and sisters. How many of us have reached a point to where we say, life just hasn't turned out like I thought it would. The Statler brothers had a very famous song called The Class of 57 Had Its Dream. And if you, if you listen to that song, it's all these wonderful dreams this graduating class had when they graduated high school and all the things they were going to accomplish, and it just absolutely didn't work out that way. They're storms, brethren. That's why Acts 27 is in the Bible. And it's for our learning and cause there's going to be storms on the way to the destination and the, and the dreams and the goals of our life. There's going to be storms. The Bible does not sugarcoat that in any way whatsoever. So Acts chapter 27 points out two great truths that I want us to look at this morning and a couple other things. Now, brothers and sisters, understand this. We can't read, well, we could take the time to read the entire chapter. It's pretty lengthy. Um, but, but I do want us to make some points from that, okay? Um, Paul has encouraged the people not to sell. He knew the angel of the Lord's been guiding him, and he knew they were going to get in this storm. He knew they were going to be a great shipwreck. He encouraged them not to, but the Bible says that the, the, the sailors on the ship, of course, persuaded the centurion to, to keep going because, after all, they're, they're seasoned sailors. They make their living doing this. They've been on the sea a long time. Who's this Paul guy, preacher? You know, he don't know anything about sailing. And, and so they took the advice of the sailors, and they went on anyway. And, and it gives in great detail, as we said, the, the, uh, the, the, the storm and all the loss and everything that they were going through. And as our scripture just read, they had got to a point because they, they were in two weeks, brothers and sisters, 14 days into this horrific storm. And they weren't on a big cruise line like we have today. They were on a wooden boat with sails and, and, and row, slaves to row it. And, and it was a, a very precarious situation. And as the scripture reading said, they had gradually gave it all they got, fought hard, but gradually given up all hope of being saved. I mean, you ever get to that point in your life where you think, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. And this is where they were at. And so the Acts 27 points out two things in the storms that I hope we can understand today. And number one is my father is with me even during the storm. Isn't that a marvelous thing, brothers and sisters? And you look at verses 21 through 25, uh, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said to them, Men, you ought to have, a, 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 I'm sorry, full, followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now, now in the midst of the storm, brothers and sisters, that's what he's talking about. 
Now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, how could he know that? Verse 23. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. Now, brethren, the reason he's put it in that kind of words is most of these sailors and soldiers, Roman soldiers on this, on this boat would have been idolatrous. And so they have already called out to their gods to save them and to no avail. So God said, Paul puts it in that terminology, the God whom I serve. He said to me, verse 24, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all of those who are sailing with you. Now, that had to be good news to these people. Therefore, Paul says, keep up your courage, men, and for I believe that uh, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Brothers and sisters, he understood his faith in God. He had great faith in God. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. God is with us even during the storm. This is what Paul was telling these people in here, brothers and sisters. In the midst of the storm, in the worst part of the storm, these people had lost hope, as our scripture reading said. Despair. When all seems lost, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us God is with us. And I'm sure you're saying amen right now because we have experienced that, brothers and sisters. There is no substitute in this world for just knowing that in the confusion of the storm and in the center of everything, when it seems it's worse, my Father is with me. He is in control. He is reassuring us. He is comforting us. He is saying, I've got this. <coughs> I'm the captain of the ship. I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the ages, Jesus says. And so, brethren, we must stay in the boat. This is what he says to us in verses 30 through 32. And, and there's a great deal of truth in this, okay? Verse 30, beginning of verse 30, you know, Paul had told them, look, there's going to be the loss of the ship, but everybody's else going to, you, you're all going to survive, so, so stay in the boat. So, verse 30, as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, that had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Brothers and sisters, isn't that indicative of the human race? Isn't that indicative of Christians? Oftentimes, you know, um, you've got to stay in the boat. Jesus said, that's where I'm at. And so you've got to do that. When things aren't going great, when there's a crisis in our life, when, the, when we're going through hardships, when we're enduring the storm, there's a tendency sometimes to jump ship, right? And we want to leave God. We want to leave the church. I've counseled with many people that's that, that has felt that way, people that before had been faithful Christians, and now that things aren't going the way they think they should, and they don't believe God's blessing them, some of them believe God's even abandoned them, that he's given up on them, that he's kind of cast them to one side, and they say, I'm leaving God in the church. Brothers and sisters, that's jumping from the frying pan in the fire. Paul says, you've got to stay in the boat. Okay? That's what you've got to do. You've got to stay faithful to God. You've got to continue to fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You've got to remain in the Lord's church. You've got to remain in active service in the Lord's church, brothers and sisters. Those who abandon ship are going to drown in their sorrow and their pity and their despair. You stay with God. Paul says that's where you're going to be saved. 
That's where salvation's going to come, through the storm. You don't jump out in the middle of the storm. You've got to stay in there. That's the first lesson we understand, brothers and sisters. God is with us in the very midst of the storm. Number two this morning. God ministers to people in the storm through others in the storm. See, that's a lesson I think we need to learn. Verses 33 through 37, Paul again is encouraging them. And he says um, in verse 33 of our text, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Much of that was fasting, brethren. But I'm sure some of it had to do with seasickness, but much of it was fasting because they were trying to appeal to their idol, idolatrous gods to save them. And so, verse 34, therefore I encourage you, notice how the word encourage is said here so many times. I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will be perished. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them <clears throat> were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of the, all of the, I'm sorry, all of us in the ship were 276. Beloved, Paul was well experienced in life storms. You can read in the scripture the hardships and the storms that he had to endure from being stoned to just so many things, even shipwrecked before this. And because of his faith in God, he was able to encourage and be a blessing to others. Many have gone through the same storms that you may be going through right now. They've survived it. They've experienced it. You know what you need to do? Get with those folk and encourage one another. That's who you go to, brother. I have literally been called up for a counseling situation that I have no idea. I've never gone through it. And I have sent people in the congregation who have gone through it over to those people's houses because, as we've talked about this morning, they can empathize with them. They've been through the storm. They know exactly what this person is going through, and they're able to help them. It is no surprise, is it, that in addictive-type recovery programs that the vast majority of the counselors and the teachers in those programs are former addicts themselves. They've been through the storm. They can understand. And so God allows us to do that. The storm uniquely qualifies you to help and comfort and encourage people in ways that others just cannot do. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 3 and 4, this is what the Apostle Paul says. And again, he's been through the storms, brethren. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction. Listen to this. There's many reasons God comforts us in, in our affliction, brethren, but he gives one very good reason here. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. He said, God gets you through the storm and he comforts you. Now you are uniquely qualified to do the same for other people going through the same kind of storm that you are going through at this time. Isn't that a wonderful verse, brothers and sisters? 
Because the question is always asked, why does God allow storms and suffering in my life? Why does God allow me to go through this crisis? And in the life of Paul, in his example here, brothers and sisters, this is a man that was doing God's will. Extremely righteous, loved the Lord, lived for God. Every waking moment of his life was living for God, living righteously. So why in the world would God allow Paul, his servant, to go through these storms? Why would he allow us to go through them? I believe according to this text, Brothers and sisters, in other verses of the Bible, there's at least two reasons God allows us to go through crises and storms, okay? Number one, as we see here, because God impacts this world in a powerful way through suffering. Now, we don't like to talk about that because we don't like to suffer, do we? We don't enjoy that one bit. But God changes the world in powerful ways through the suffering of his people, through you and I. We see it in the, from, uh, all throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine the impact that Paul had on these 276 people on board? These were experienced men of the sea, great sailors, you know, and had been through many storms, and they had given up hope of ever being saved in this horrible storm. And these, and these battle-hardened soldiers were there with the centurion, Roman soldiers who, who were taught not to fear anything. And they had given up, brothers and sisters, and they're in spare. And the Bible says they had lost all hope. And here's Paul. And he says, y'all, sit down and eat. We're going to make it. Brothers and sisters, Paul's a church of Christ preacher. Eating settles everything, don't it? And I'll take a meal, eat. Everything's going to be good. Brothers and sisters, the prisoner emerges as the leader. And God uses him in a powerful way because of that. People are impacted and changed by our lives when we patiently endure those storms, those storms as the Bible tells us how to do. Have you ever done that, brothers and sisters? And people will come to you, and they may be going through the same kind of situation you are, and they'll ask you. I've had people do this, and I'm sure you have. They'll ask you, how do you do it? How do you do it? I'm falling apart. And, and you're enduring. You're hanging in there. What gives you the strength and the courage? How do you get through this? You've got a smile on your face in spite of all the problems that you're going through. And how do you get through it? Brothers and sisters, is that not a perfect opportunity to witness about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to those lost folk at that time? It's a good time to do that. People are not going to be affected from the sunny shore, are they? They are going to, they are changed, beloved, during the storm. And God allows great suffering because we impact, he impacts this world because of that. Don't know if you've ever heard of the name Elizabeth Hansen, a lady that loved God with all of her heart. She was a nurse. She decided to become a medical missionary in Africa, devoted her life, like Paul, to serving the Lord. While she was there, things went well for a while, but revolution broke out. And this lady, and I know we've got children watching today, and I'm going to try to be tender here, but she was brutally violated by several so-called soldiers over a several-hour period. 
She said during that time she would scream out, God, where are you? I gave you my life. Why is this happening? She said at the darkest moment, she even screamed at God, I hate you. She survived. For years, she never told anyone of her shame. Other people knew about it. Other people talked about it. She never would. A few years ago, she was speaking to a group of med students, medical students at UCLA. She said she looked up as she began to speak, and two small girls come in and sit down. She was shocked because in this audience were doctors and med students and adults, college-age students. Here comes two little girls come in. She had never done this before. She had no intention of doing it before. Even this day, it was not even in her notes at all. But she said, for some reason, I felt compelled to share my story. She wouldn't do it at first. She refused. She said she fought it with all of her being. And finally, she just couldn't help it. She had to share her experience with those med students. And she shared her pain and humiliation and all that she had to go through. She said immediately afterwards, those two girls came forward ahead of everybody else. The older one, who was 14, came very quickly. The younger one hesitated. She said, the older young girl grabbed me and said, Miss Hanson, I need to say this before my sister gets up here. She said, we're here today because we've been everywhere else and no one can help us. She said, two months ago, my sister was violated repeatedly. She, the little girl said, just like you. And she's 12. For two months. She's not spoken a word to anybody. Could you talk with her? Elizabeth Hansen, I looked at her, and I began to cry. And that little girl, 12 years old, ran into my arms and said, for two hours, we talked, and we cried, and we shared. And that little girl left there a different person. Brothers and sisters, let me be careful to say this here because I think I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, preacher, did God cause Elizabeth Hampson to go through that kind of shame and humiliation so she could <clears throat> help this little girl some years later? No. Rather than understand this. The Bible tells us that when anyone's tempted to sin, they cannot say God caused it. God causes no man to sin, the Bible says. God doesn't tempt you to sin. God's a holy God. He hates sin. He sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. He doesn't do that. 
But what God is able to do in his power and his omniscience and his wisdom is he's able, as Romans 8, 28 says, to take all the horrible things that do happen to us during the storms and then use us to be able to bless others who are going through that storm. And this is what God did in this situation. And I'm sure you can think of many other situations where God does the same things. Brothers and sisters, God allows the storms in, in the lives of his people in order to impact the world. The New Testament Christians impacted their world in a tremendous way because they were willing to suffer, even death, at the hands of their enemy. They converted the world. They turned the world upside down for Jesus, the Bible says, in one generation. They brought the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, the Roman Empire, to its knees by their willingness to suffer in the storm. So God changes people. Brothers and sisters, God impacts people in the storms. Number two. The reason God allows storms is because God changes not only the world and impacts the world, God changes his people through storms. Beloved, you've heard all sunshine makes a desert. We can't have all sunshine in our life. There are ways that we change in a storm that we cannot change in any other way. I know that's the truth. We just don't do it. Many of you all have changed through this virus episode in ways that you never changed before, perhaps. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, that our goal is to be like Christ, right? That should be what our goal should be. To be, as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, we're to be conformed into the image of his Son. Okay? To be, the, be conformed to the image of his Son. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then I have to welcome into my life whatever allows that process to take place. And we're not conformed to the image of the Lord by sitting in our pews and sitting in an easy chair and, and just expecting everything to be nice. There are times, brothers and sisters, that the only thing that's going to conform us to the image of Christ and make us better people and better Christians is going to be a storm. It's going to be the suffering and the heartache. That's why we visited James verses, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 many a time. Haven't we during this series, brethren, during this time? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why in the world would you consider it joy during the storm? Why would you do that? He tells us why. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have storms. That's why God allows us to have storms. Even <coughs> our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, while he was on the face of this earth, had to suffer. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5.8 that though he were a son... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Isn't that something? Jesus had a cross to bear. To be conformed to the image of Christ, we must allow God to work on you. And we do that 
He does it by storms, by crises, by tests, by stretching. That's the way we grow. So what's our attitude towards the storm? James just told us it should be one of joy and endurance. Our attitude, brothers and sisters, I believe, uh, 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 to me, the, a person that gives a great example of the right kind of attitude during storms is a guy, and you may be familiar with his name. He's called H.G. or Horatio G. Stafford. He knew much about storms. He's born in the year 1828. He began to have a relationship with God early on, loved his Lord. He became wealthy in real estate in the city of Chicago. Chicago was just going gangbusters in the mid-1800s, early to mid-1800s. But as you all know from your history, the great fire in Chicago in 1871 took all of his wealth. He was in real estate. It burned up, literally. And it hardly fazed him as far as losing his fortune because he was dealing with the loss of his oldest son just prior to that. But through all of it all, he decided to send his wife and his four surviving daughters home to England just to get away for a little while while he rebuilt the, his business and, and, and give them a time to get away from all of the hurt and the pain. And when their boat was near Wales, it also encountered a storm and sank. And the telegram that H.G. Spafford received said simply, from his wife, all girls gone. I alone was saved. It was sometime during this storm, during this crisis, that Horatio Spafford took, they said, the next ship. Now, that's been some debate, brethren, I don't know, but at any rate, he began to write these words. When peace like a river attended my way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Beloved, can we say that in the midst of the most horrible crises and storms that we're going to be going through? And you and I do the same as Mr. Horatio did. I hope so. See, that's the reason for the storm. That's the reason. So that we'll become more Christ-like, we'll become more like the image of God, and so we'll be able to help others who are going through the same thing and be able to lead them to Christ as a result of that. Less, no storm's fun. Storms are scary. They can be terrifying. But let's stay in the boat, amen? And let's stay with the Lord, and he's going to get us through this. Thank you for your attention. If there's anyone that needs to respond to this invitation, if you're in the middle of a storm and need somebody to help you get through it, we're here for you, and we want you to know that. And you, there's many ways you can contact us, and we would certainly encourage you to do that very soon while we sing.